podcast was recorded Monday morning, January the 25th in Joplin, Missouri at Ozark Christian College. We had a special guest, Michael DeFazio, a professor at the college and a former student of Jim Johnson. Fascinating conversation with some sharp guys. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to another episode of Consider This Question. We are actually on site today in Joplin, Missouri at Ozark Christian College, and uh, we have brought in, uh, he'll hate it when I say this, but the expert, Michael <laughs> DeFazio, to to speak to us. You know, one of the things that we have really appreciated about this is a lot of the uh, the great minds that are at Sunnybrook, but uh, we don't think we're the only ones with great minds and so uh, we're actually here today doing some taping, and uh, so we've invited a former student of mine who has far exceeded his teacher, and uh, Michael is a professor. Uh, tell, tell, what, what do you, what do you, I mean, I think it's everything, isn't it? Are you well, a professor you know, of all things? Bible, when you teach the Bible, you should be teaching everything at some level, so New uh, Testament hermeneutics is the fancy title. I like to teach the Bible and how to read the Bible and what it says and all those different things, so basically what you did, I'm trying to trying to live up to the... Oh to the uh, legend. Well, you've done it. Uh, and I also have uh, Ryan and uh, Ryan Vincent and Drew Moss with us today. And today we're going to be uh, developing the idea that came up a few weeks ago regarding the temptation of Jesus, which we spent a little bit uh, in the sermon discussing you have God uh, and then you have man and in Jesus you have God and man together. Uh, so that is known as the hypostatic union. Uh, a lot of people don't know what that word means, or they might think it's one of those deep theological terms, which it is, but we're going to spend some time talking about it. And so I'm just going to jump straight into this. Um, you know, the early church really uh, battled over this. Um, so, Michael, I'm going to kind of begin with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, why has this been probably the most controversial topic throughout church history? So yeah. just talk about, like, why does this keep coming up? And why does this issue even matter so much? Yeah, um, I'll answer the question and then, and then mess with the question and answer it again if I can. I think the um, main reason why it's consistently been a conversation topic and why it's certainly at different points it's been one of the biggest controversies, if not the big one, is because it's both important and kind of confusing. Um, you know, you don't you don't argue much about stuff that doesn't matter. You think about a, a you know a, a young couple getting married; they're going to argue about the things that are important to them, hmm. um, and then also the things that aren't aren't easy, the things that are confusing. It's not so much you know which side of the driveway do you live? Are you going to park your car on as much as you know? So how are we going to pay for this bill and that bill? So you take the it it is we'll talk about this I'm sure in many ways. What is at the very core? It it, it is the very core of our faith. The importance is obviously there. What we believe about Jesus sure. is always going to be most important, and then what we believe about the most important questions about Jesus is going to be is going to raise it up. So you look at things like the atonement, you look at things like this, the hypostatic union. The importance is there, and it's confusing. You know, people always try to say if they don't want to think any further about a matter, um, whether it's about something general or about theology, well, it's, it's a mystery. God is a mystery. We <laughs> abuse that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Properly speaking, there are only two mysteries. One is the Trinity, the nature of the Trinity, and then two is the hypostatic union. So it's one of the few places where we're actually supposed to at some point say we've reached the limits of our language, probably even the language of our conceptual abilities, our brains, and therefore we need to say this far and no further. So it is mysterious and Mm. and complex and confusing. The other thing I would want to say, though, um, when I think about that question is it hasn't always been the most controversial thing. It was, and then we nailed it. And then it really, at some level, <laughs> yeah, it that's wasn't good. for a long time. I mean, you look at, I was thinking about the Reformation and, and some of these different figures. 
what they what what Luther and Calvin and 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 Anselm and Aquinas and you know pick your thinkers Catholic Protestant Orthodox what they agree agree on is the hypostatic union that yeah. Jesus is fully yeah. God fully yeah. man. Yeah. But like it is again, I think is what's mm-hmm. fascinating. It is a controversial issue again, and I think the reason is because we're approaching it um, with a new set of lenses, and I don't mean that in a good way. We've allowed. Mm-hmm. And this is theological liberalism in a nutshell. We've allowed, <laughs> you know, the way the world changed, we, and I say we, speaking broadly, yep. some Christians, yep. Christians yep. felt like, well, now we got to change the way we talk about it and think about it so that it makes sense to people who have different assumptions. And the assumptions were mostly anti-supernatural, you know, scientism, not just scientific, but the scientism where, like, the only way to know anything is to put it into the test tube. And so we became insecure again about the language mm. that we've inherited. And so we now have inherited all these different things, and we want to hold on to the language and the, and because it's biblical and also what you know traditional in the best sense. But we feel this tension of, but how does how's that supposed to make sense to my neighbor? Wait a second, how does that make sense to me? So I think that's probably why it feels controversial again, even though it is one of the agreed upon things. Like where you have. What most would consider real Christianity, you have the hypostatic union. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and can I can I add this? Well, let me you? let me add something real fast. Yeah. Is I want to say I, I meant to say this at the beginning. You know, Michael has been uh, teaching at Ozark for a few years now. Before that, was actually pastoring out mm-hmm. in California, and so he really brings to the table what we're committed to, which is uh, a profound understanding of who God is and His Word and how do we interpret it and apply mm-hmm. it to our lives. But we're all interested in ministry context here. Yeah. So I know Michael is a professor, but he is also has always been very much like us practitioners. And so for those of you that are listening and going, wow, that guy sounds smart. Yeah, he is. But he also gets it from a practical level. And so I really appreciate what you had to say. Go, yeah. Drew. Well, I was just going to kind of add to that. Michael said it's the reason it's controversial is because it's really important and it's kind of confusing. And mm-hmm. I would say the reason it's confusing is it is is this one of these weird, it's like the perfect intersection of a very, very important thing. A lot mm-hmm. of the, the, the term is Christianity is Christ. Mm-hmm. It is built around the, the person and, and the work and the nature of him. Um, and yet it is, it is not something that is really explicit or clear in Scripture. Like w- there's no verse that says Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. Or the term hypostatic union is not yep. in the Scriptures. And so it's a weird thing because a lot of times we mark importance of our doctrine by the clarity we find of it in scripture you know what i mean we don't need to argue a whole lot about revelation because we're not going to divide over it because it's not 100 percent clear I, I need to be careful saying that with jim johnson at the table here um, <laughs> yeah. but millennial views aren't something we're going to divide yeah. over because yeah. it's not super laid out and and i'm not saying there's no case for the hypostatic union of scripture i'm just right. saying it's not as explicit and and clearly defined in scripture as a lot of other things you know yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, Ryan, I'm going to ask you, uh, so is, is this an issue for, you know, do we have to have Michael here? Do we have to have a professor, you know, uh, here to explain about this? Is this one of those issues where professional theologians, really that's what it's talking about, even as we title this, right? Mm-hmm. How do we title it so that um, our people uh, at the church are going to want to listen to it? If we just say the hypostatic union, um, people are going to be confused or completely turned off by something like that. So is, is this an issue that just professional theologians need to deal with? And then why does it matter so much? So what do we lose if we lose the the hypostatic union? Uh, well, no, it's not an issue for the academy alone. The, the word might make you think that, and I don't even need to use the word to describe what's going on here. We're talking about the humanity and the deity of Christ. Mm-hmm. And these are words that we all, as followers of, of, of Christ, 
know and use often. And so, no, it, 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 needs to be, it needs to be in the church. We need to have these conversations. We need to have a way of thinking about it and understanding it. And, and reason number one is because the New Testament is dripping with mm-hmm. a testimony of both mm-hmm. the deity and mm-hmm. the humanity of Christ. So to not talk about it would be to just remove layer upon layer upon layer of the New Testament witness to the gospel. Two, we need to talk about it because you, you guys keep talking about how important it is. It's so foundational to the faith. And its ripple effects, as far as your other doctrine, it's just so far-reaching. The implications for how you get this doctrine, how you view the hypostatic union, the implications go deep. Mm -hmm. You get this wrong. And this is one of those doctrines you you talk about where there's room for wiggle room in a lot of our doctrine. This is one, I would say, that has kind of the tightest window for orthodoxy. There is very, very little room on the spectrum for us to deviate from what the church has, I believe, historically taught. And, and that's because if you get it wrong on one side, you're going to just kind of uh, submit to a number of heresies that the church has condemned over the years. You get it wrong on the other side, you're a Jehovah's Witness or a Muslim. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so to, yep. to, and that's where we're actually going to run into trouble, and we'll talk about it here in a second, on what happens when we overemphasize the deity against the humanity or vice versa. And... Um, no, I think this is something we have to talk about at the church level, and we have to be able to articulate because this is an evangelistic issue and a discipleship issue because I don't know how you can talk about following Christ without understanding or at least having some working notion of this particular doctrine. So, Michael, you <clears throat> have been uh, you know, doing preaching and teaching mm-hmm. and life group development and stuff like that out in California. Now you're in the classroom mm-hmm. training pastors. And so uh, I'm sure you experienced like I did when I was teaching um, man, don't make it complicated. Don't make it difficult. Break it down. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that same issue, about the professionalism yeah. and why it's important that we address it and teach it and how it's not just for professionals. No, and I love what, what Ryan just said. And, and yeah, I mean, I'm grateful to God for many things about the way in which he's you know brought me to this point. And, and even you know starting this last August, I joined our church staff because I don't want to just be in, in the academic world. I, I love parts of it. Um, but there's a sense in which, um, all theology, if it becomes unhinged from the church, it's just no longer Christian theology. And he said it well, I mean, you look at the, and it's not, you know, they, people, the Christians have always said this, therefore we have to, it's Christians have always said this because they had to, because like the coherence of scripture is dependent on whether or not we believe in the hypostatic union, the personal union of, 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 of God and man in this one person, um, and I was uh, so the other day I, I had, had the shirt on it had a little thread in it and I say to Beth can you can you you know take this off for me because I couldn't reach it and she looked at it she's like you don't want me to pull on that thread because it was the seam was ripping apart and if she oh, pulled on the good. thread literally the shirt would fall apart that's how I feel about this issue mm-hmm. you can't read very long at all in the texts before you come up with a belief in in Jesus's deity and in his humanity and in the fact that those can't be separated without doing damage to what the text are, is saying and for me. And I try to tell this to the students. I don't think they believe me yet. <laughs> Whenever you, you people actually start listening to you and reading the Bible, they're going to ask you questions sure. that you you will need to be prepared to answer. And in my experience, you know, we had at the church out on the coast, we had a lot of baby Christians and first time to the Bible or first time back to the Bible. And they ask really good questions and questions like this. And so, yeah, you, the text itself demands it. And then when you look at, not only, um, so that would be my first thing. 
I want as a disciple, and I know everybody I know who's a disciple, and the people that I've led and pastored as disciples want to know that they can trust Scripture. Yeah. If mm-hmm. if the if we don't have the personal union of, of of deity and humanity, then the Scriptures are incoherent and shouldn't be trusted. And then you also start to look at, and we could talk about, and maybe maybe we will all day long. I mean, not all day long. We could talk for quite a while about the different ramifications of if he were one of the other, or if he emphasized one of the other. Starting with, um, you know, just the, the consistency of God's promises, that God promised to do this in a certain way. And you have both of those coming out of the Old Testament. You have this promise implicit in God creating humanity in his image and then affirmed in God choosing to save through Israel that he's going to do this through humans. It's going to be through humanity in some sense that salvation is brought. And then humanity gets entirely jacked up, like to the core, every person, right? Yeah, yep. So then he, he says to the prophets, I'm going to come back and do it myself. Like that alone. You just you have both promises, and in order for both to be fulfilled, you have that. One other example, and like I said, we can talk about as many examples as you want. Um, if you don't have the humanity of Jesus, then that piece is missed. If you don't have the deity of Jesus, in addition to that general point, you look at um, you know Paul's argument in Galatians, and he's defending the freedom of the gospel that we enjoy. He's defending the fact that you don't have to follow the Old Testament yeah. law uh, you know, as a code in order to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And he starts by saying, listen, I didn't get this message from, you know, just thinking about it. I didn't get this message from joining together a bunch of smart people. I actually received it. From, it's a revelation from heaven. Yep. God, God revealed it to me in and through Christ. If Jesus isn't divine, then it just pushes the question up to him. If he's just a man, then, okay, so why should we listen to you? You know what I mean? Anyway, so lots of different um, points at which we could make the same point. But really the point for me is pretty consistently— once you start thinking about your faith and asking whether or not there's any stability to it, you have to have, you either have the hypostatic union with or without the language, like you said, with or without the language, you have that, or you don't have a coherent faith. Okay. Drew, you know, we talked in, uh, when, when I was preaching on the temptation of Christ, that it really does become one of those moments where I really have to wrestle with this question. Um, was Jesus Christ truly tempted? Because we know God cannot be tempted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you that's, that's a real rub for me. Yeah. And I would say that I probably wrestle, when I think of the temptation, I probably wrestle more with his uh, divinity in that sense. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. To me, it's like that's yeah. where I go, well, wait a second, how does how does all that fit together? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess one of the things that I want us to even, even talk about here is in terms of how all of these things are described. Like what issues does the deity of Christ, and if you want, you can take the flip of sure, that, which sure. is the humanity of Christ. What does it raise? What, what are some of the issues that you just see kind of rising to the to the table when we begin to choose one over the other? You can begin at the temptation or you sure. can pick another narrative sure. if you want. No, I mean, the temptation is a great example for, mm-hmm. for what you just mentioned because we have James saying that God cannot be tempted. And, and yet we have Hebrews saying that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are. And so you have to wrestle with this. What does it mean? What does it mean if he is God and God cannot be tempted? How do I hold that in conjunction with, with the fact that he, is, that, that he was tempted? Says That's what the gospel accounts say. That's what Hebrews says. And Hebrews, I, I believe, um, there's debate over whether he, was, whether he was really tempted. Was it really possible? Sure. Was, he re- was there really any temptation? Was there really any possibility of him sinning? I, I think Hebrews lays it out that he yeah. really did experience the same kind of temptation we did. Because his point is, um, Jesus is able to offer us mercy and mm-hmm. able to sympathize with our struggle and our weakness because he experienced what we experienced. 
And so, but the deity messes with that a little bit. When we, when <laughs> yes. we think about him being God, we go, but isn't that like kind of cheating? Doesn't he get yep. like a, he's got kind of an extra, uh, an extra God card to play there to get out of things or something like that. And so that's, that's what creates sometimes the struggle for us in thinking about this. Well, and, and, we, and we wrestle with like, so then could he have sinned, right? Without yeah. kind of chasing that rabbit too far. But that really becomes one of the questions. Can you be tempted? And then we say, well, so could he have failed? Well, no, he couldn't have failed. Okay, well, then how could he have really been tempted? Yeah. Right? So it's a little bit of going through the motions, and then you have the question about setting aside, right? Did Jesus set something aside, which Paul says he he did in Philippians 2? So there is a sense in which he is setting aside. I think it's just good for us to realize, like, where, what, what, what aspects that we decide to emphasize the deity or the humanity of Jesus Christ, like how that can then mold and shape our Jesus, and I would say that one thing I've experienced in ministry over the last, uh, well, 20 years or so is a real emphasis on his humanity. They love to stress. I think that's where we are, mm. is that how does Jesus sympathize? It's a little bit yeah. of the desire for him to be our example and to him to kind of mm-hmm. lead us through that whole piece. And so, and and, and by the way, I, I probably have fought that. And I would say at times wrongly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have I have not done the hard work of trying to figure out how to keep together this perfectly uh, combined being, Jesus, who is both God and man. And in, in the end, I, I probably emphasize the divinity side of him in terms of how powerful he is and how strong he is and kind of let go of some of that yeah. on the other side. So um, I don't know if I'm still with Drew or somebody else wants to jump well, in. Michael? Um, you know, when you're talking about that, it reminded me of some of just coming back to what the, the tradition has meant when it's called it a mystery think part of what they're saying there is it it transcends our normal categories so the reason why when we look at texts it looks at times like we're seeing more of the humanity or more of the divinity or some sort of how can it be both type thing is because of the nature of what we're looking at is unique in all Hmm. in all of everything and I was uh, you know you think about the first place where God revealed his name you know Exodus 3 tells Moses he's Yahweh. What is it that caught Moses' attention? It was something that broke the rules. It was it was a bush that was was on fire, but it wasn't burning up. And I think there's something in there about God's, not his original revelation, because of course he'd already created us and, and so many things, but this moment when he's about to reveal his name, he instigates that conversation by doing something that breaks the rules. And I think we can see in that evidence that just so you know I'm going to break your rules, and you're going to be <laughs> looking at this going, wait, like, so it's burning <laughs> but it's not burning. How's that work? And, you know, there's that classic, I can't remember the name of the, it's a story, Flatland or something about a two-dimensional oh, yeah, world, yeah, you know yeah, this, Flatlanders. a three-dimensional object. And yeah. so how would a two-dimensional world describe a three-dimensional object? Well, partially rightly, but certainly incompletely because they couldn't see it. And I think there's something like a dynamic of that nature going on that we're looking at this. And that's why the classical exegete said, when you look at a text, you should ask, which does this text seem to be emphasizing? Which does this text seem to be, what does this seem to be telling us? All the while realizing that, you know, we're reading this in light of all the other texts. So we are not denying what we're unemphasizing by emphasizing this thing. We're saying that this was designed to draw attention to the fact that it's on fire, whereas this text is designed to draw more attention to the fact that it's not burning up, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And that's really, I think, the only way for God to communicate such a wonderful truth to us 
given our limited capacities. So we're circles looking at us at a ball. Yeah, they're, they're, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's, we're yeah. circles looking at this ball, going, "I don't understand how mm-hmm. this thing is." Mm-hmm. And so we, and, and literally, it's not just we're looking at this ball, but we only know of the mm-hmm. two dimension. Yep. And when you add that third dimension, it gets confusing. One of the things that I always keep coming back to, um, some bad physics classes I took in high school <laughs> and college, but uh, I, I loved the study of whether or not light is a wave or a particle. Yeah. And the answer is yes. Yes. I mean, it really is. So yeah. light doesn't have a mass, but yet it acts towards a mass. And so I, I love to even point out, listen, it's not just in this, but there are other areas that, and I believe God's the author of all of these things, where we can't fully understand. I've never really thought about the burning bush piece. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. So I said I kind of lean towards that particular side. Ryan, do you have a divinity, humanity, wrestles, re- wrestling match when you're kind of working through this or teaching through this or yeah pastorally working through this with others yeah i mean i i personally you know outside of whatever particular text i'm working through i personally will lean towards the divine side i, I just for whatever reason that's where that's what i just most draws me into worship what attracts me the most is this otherness that i don't experience right and i find that some of the places where i get um where the waters get murky is where I need to be able to speak about his humanity in such a way that he can fully represent humanity and therefore offer mm. a substitutionary yeah. sacrifice. And that's where, when we go back to the temptation and we're asking this question, can he, could he have sinned? Like, is it even theoretically possible? Are we talking about counterfactuals now? And I always, this is where I get hung up. Did Jesus have a way to represent my fullness in terms of even my broken nature. Mm-hmm. And that's the like how human was he? Was he did he have that that bent towards sin that we have mm-hmm. and yeah. and overcome it? And that's a question that I don't see scripture speaking to, so it's a question that I quickly back off of because it's in some sense theoretical and unnecessary, but fascinating to me and I and I can kind of get lost in that area as I I love to focus on the deity side. This is just what Ryan said about him being able to represent us is, is a really important. The reason we, we, we don't say, if anybody's ever wondered, that Jesus was half God and half man, 50% God, 50% man, mm-hmm. is because there, he would be the only one. Mm-hmm. There is no 50% God, right. 50% man. He has to be 100% yeah. man in order to die in the place of man. And if he's a hybrid, he's the only hybrid. Right, and so that's one of the reasons this matters so much. But we don't. Uh, can I tell you? I mean, this is this this is mildly embarrassing. But uh, it wasn't until we started taking that Trinity class when we were offering the theology program yeah. at Sunnybrook. I, I mean, I don't remember much in college or graduate school, and I went to a great college and a great graduate school. I don't know how much they kind of helped me see that. Yeah. I mean, I, I never. They never really kind of did the fine tuning of that. And so I'm sitting in a Trinity class that I'm kind of teaching, mm-hmm. and I hear this concept of Jesus being the representative, and I kind of had been lazy in my thinking in regards to that. Yeah. Um, and I even think I, I love to teach now that that's one of the reasons why the devil, if he were to just believe, really can't find salvation because he doesn't have a savior. Mm. So yeah. it's not just a belief in yeah. God. It's a, it's a uh, the, the devil says, hey, great, Jesus died for humanity. Because he represented humanity, that really yeah. doesn't help me. I think that's why that's Peter. Hebrews. That's Hebrews, and that's yeah. why Peter even says that the angels look in Uberthema. Oh, they 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 lust at the gospel, yeah. at mm-hmm. the amazement of God who became man, who died for man, and so there really is something there that matters. Um, that Jesus has to fully represent us in order for us 
to find this peace with God. Yeah. And and I, I think we just kind of skip through that when we're helping to lead people to faith. And I don't even know if it needs to be a first issue. Sure. I'm yeah. not even describing that, but more needs to be said yeah. about that. And I think there's something there's something probably at play both in terms of um, your wonderful education that nonetheless had this hole in it, and also most of our tendency to emphasize the divinity in, in our particular context and ministries. And I think it has to do with... Um, when you when you when you see one side abused in dangerous ways, you're going to have a natural tendency to swing the other direction. So you look at our movement, you know, the the movement of church, the restoration movement of churches that we're a part of, and that both your learning institutions were connected to or were intimately connected to. Yep. There's a hesitation to do theology, yep. to to go beyond what the scriptures say because we've seen it done poorly in such a way that it contributes to the loss of life and ultimate, I mean, loss of spiritual life, yep. loss of vitality yep. in the church and those yep. things. Yep. So historically, our movement's been been worried about it, and and even when you think about the difficulty of finding proper phrases to describe the relationship between theology and scripture, and I used to say in my doctrine classes, theology goes beyond scripture, and because what I meant is we're articulating using terminology that goes beyond what the text says. But I've stopped saying that, not that because it's entirely untrue, but I think there's a better way of saying it. It goes be behind scripture, hmm. and when you look at um, the the question of divinity, humanity, and Jesus, the early, the fathers had the hypostatic union was the primary phrase. There's another one I actually wasn't even aware of until recently. They talked about the theandric premise. Yes. Yeah, so it's this idea that, the reason why I say this is all the texts presuppose it. So theo, meaning God, andric, meaning meaning man. Yeah. The text, the premise of the text is that he is both. And so they're looking behind scripture. So I think there's been hesitation to do that, though. So in our, whereas our educations were wonderful in terms of knowing the text, pushing us some of those terms, there's a historical reason why we've why that was avoided. And then in our own ministries, especially with what, you know... I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. I like this, yeah. And it, you saw a little bit more of it. It's not like you're all that much older than the rest of us, but just enough to have seen the, you know, you know the earlier portions of this, and yet it's still very much alive, is uh, as teachers, we have seen the damage that has been done by emphasize, overemphasizing the humanity of Christ. The liberal theology, the social gospel. I actually read an article just before I came out here by Truth Dig, a fairly left-leaning website. <laughs> and this guy was arguing, the title of the article was um, The Suicide of Liberal Churches. And he was arguing, it was interesting, it wouldn't be the argument we would probably make, but it was fascinating. He said they're dying because they've abandoned the poor because they're now becoming more concerned with having enough money to keep themselves alive. Hmm. So ironically, these churches which supposedly embrace the poor more so than supposedly, yep. more so than conservative <laughs> yeah, churches, and we were all saying, you actually don't have any reason to do what you're doing anymore. You've yeah. lost the actual sub- substance behind why you would do that. Sure enough, as soon as the pocketbook became pocketbooks became thin, at least some of them said, well, we're not going to do that anymore. So all that to say, <laughs> we have seen the negative impact of people losing the divinity of Jesus and the way in which that actually destroys people. It destroys individuals, it destroys marriages, it destroys schools, it destroys churches. And so as teachers, I think that's what we're seeing more, and so that's what we react against. Whereas most people I've met aren't thinking in terms of responsibility for a church. They're just thinking in terms of, and I don't say this in a negative way, I'm just trying to know Jesus. And because we've taught them, I think fairly well, he is divine, don't ever forget that. They, and a lot of times are saying, yeah, but I also, I also, I read Hebrews, and it's like, yeah, that's what I need. Yeah. So that, I think, is part of why there's this constant temptation to overemphasize, overcorrect, because that's just what it is. It's an overcorrection. Yeah. We've seen people screwed up one way, so we just yep. so desperately want to avoid yep. that. 
probably why we need each other and why we need to be careful. But yeah, no, and it's interesting because here, here we we're not even going off of point there, mm-hmm. and so we're seeing just how important it is. Mm-hmm. I loved Kevin DeYoung's book um, uh, when he talks about the whole. Is it the hole in our holiness? Yeah, I think that's what it is. But in that in that book, he he really, you know, it's not even about the sanctification aspect of a believer. But I loved how he said mostly how we talk about this subject, and it could be any subject, has really hurt us because we've not delved deeper into it. Mm-hmm. And so when we just offer the first response, mm-hmm. when we just offer the typical response or the already spoken response, then we hurt ourselves in other ways, and therefore it kind of draws us draws us back. Um, Drew, anything else you want to add to that? Um, in general, to our sure. whole thing or yeah. to this? Well, I mean, I, I, I'm good with either one. Uh, well, let me say what, the reason that we already talked about, when you lose the humanity, you lose Christ as a substitute for our humanity, yeah. as, as the substitute for our sin. The reason Fazio says that it hurts so bad to, to lose the divinity, that it kills spiritual life, is you, you really do lose like the power of the gospel in that. Mm-hmm. Because when you take away his divinity... He's just an example to follow. But when, when he is God, then everything Michael talked about in the Old Testament, God promising that he was going to come step in and make things right and, and, and bring his kingdom and, and save the planet and his people, that's what the divinity of Jesus is. is the full, it's, it's the tying together of all the scriptures. And that's why both of those things, we can't lose either. You know? mm-hmm. Let me one more thing on that, too. The, if he's divine, we will submit to him. If he's God, he's our authority. And I think we underestimate mm. how much how how great how much that is great news. Yeah. If he's just a guy with good ideas, then I'll follow him so long as the ideas are good, so yes. long as the example's good. If he's God, then I have no choice but to submit yes. to him. And that's I mean, it was so I was I was talking well, about and particularly in an in an in a time when authority exactly. is the problem. Yeah. Yep. And, and and ultimately the heartbeat of yep. call it what you want, liberal Christianity, theological liberalism is is I want to invent God. Yep. I want to make a yep. God that has to meet my own standards. And yep. if I mean if, if you've had students, children, employees, you know <laughs> like the other day I'm talking about congregation, a per- right? Yeah, <laughs> persons who, who who you're trying to take to a good place. Claire says to me the other day, I was like, well, you know, we need some signs for stuff so I don't have to embarrass you. She's getting to the age where she's five, so I don't embarrass her in front of her friends. And so, you know, when I when I give you this sign, it means no whining, you know. And I was like, All right, we need a sign for obedience. And she says, How about this? and throws up the sign for love. I'm like, well, baby, that's the sign for love. And she's like, how about it be both? And I'm like, you get it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that, I think, is in the deity of Christ, yes. we recognize I'm, obedience is not done away with when that's you switch good. from Old to New Testament. Yes. I like this Claire central. person. This is she, really, to, she's a great no, hold on, actually. Hold on. She's, she doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit yet. But other than that, she's a pretty decent, you Drew, know, on her way. Just let me say something. <laughs> I really like this Claire person. Yeah, that's good. That was really good. That is actually I wonder really if she's smarter than me. Mm. Yeah, she could be part Please of our Please don't call. make her the new college minister. <laughs> <laughs> Drew, we need to have a meeting after this. Okay. okay. Anyway, you were going to say, Drew. What is that I love reference to? I, I, am, I don't know how I'm going to pretend in front of the church that I've got a daughter named Claire, but I, I'll have, <laughs> probably have like, story. Max came up to me the other day and said, <laughs> Dad, I need to sign for obedience. That's right. And wait, I'm going to have to write this one down. Steve, probably. can I get a transcript on this, on this one? Okay, I mean, anyway. McK- McKinsey's a kind of, it could be a girl's name too, so... <laughs> You could, you know, you you, and I don't think he knows what a podcast is, so that'll be that'll be just absolutely awesome. Drew, what were you going to say? Go. I was, I was just going to say back to Hebrews. For as much emphasis as yes. Hebrews puts on his humanity mm-hmm. and how he can relate sure. to us, there's a reason Hebrews starts off oh, with chapter Lord. one with Jesus's divinity mm-hmm. and and his greatness and how it exceeds the angels and exceeds everything. I think the the writer is laying out 
He's one we submit to. He's higher than everything. He's worth everything, worthy of our worship. And then he can go into, and by the way, mm-hmm. he can relate to you. And he is a merciful high priest. But mm-hmm. No, that's good. Any other narratives, guys? Um, I'll throw one up, and so you guys can be thinking about it. But another one that it, and I've had some, uh, I've been forced to clarify what I even mean by this. Um, so Jesus is God, and Jesus became sin. So ending up with the crucifixion mm-hmm. and kind of in terms of how the atonement works is another one that I, I, I kind of think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had people describe that. Well, how did that work? And so that's why God had to leave, right? God had to mm-hmm. leave because mm-hmm. Jesus became sin. Like somehow he's the no, bubble boy is my yeah. kind of my yeah. complaint. And I don't think that's what the text is describing. But there's another one that really kind of forces us to not just retreat. Um, we can't just divide Jesus up and say, well, the man bore the sin mm-hmm. and the God part was kind of leaving. No, then we, we fall into other heresies, mm-hmm. which we have to avoid. But the crucifixion is one that causes me to think, mm-hmm. okay, so how does this atonement, he who did not know sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God is how Paul describes it. Mm-hmm. And so that's another one of those narratives that really kind of hits me when I think about Jesus Christ being fully God, fully man, and then becoming sin on our part, and therefore atoning. Yep. So I don't know if you want to talk about that, or if there's another, another story, I'll let you I'll Another let you fun decide. one I really love to kind of see how it interplays is the high priestly prayer in John mm. 17. You see him praying to God yeah. and talking about that he is the perfect revelation of God. Mm. And it is a masterful account of how Jesus understood this interplay. And there's some really beautiful gems in there and then not too long after the the prayer in gethsemane is pretty good yeah gethsemane is the one that messes with me yeah so let's start at the cross and work our way backwards to some of those things because i think by the, we'll get confused a little more confused and then we'll get to the priestly prayer and he may actually clarify it for us because i think you're right you pull back the curtain pull, pulls back the curtain a little bit and with these with the crucifixion piece um you know that that um where to start so that there's the Corinthians 5 text that you're talking about, and then there's the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? me? Which I probably, it's probably your fault, and I mean that in a good way. <laughs> uh, most of, mo- and, and yeah, hopefully none of, you know, none of, nobody speaking or listening has preached this in a way that I'm about to say is wrong. <laughs> um, most of the times I hear it talked about, I find myself in slight disagreement with it um, because I think he is throwing all of Psalm 22 yep. at them. Yep. That he's quoting Psalm 22, 1. He certainly is not ignorant of where the psalm goes. Now, I guess you could argue, well, he doesn't choose to keep quoting. Yeah, but if you read the psalm, clearly this is spoken by a person who, who is experiencing what seems to be total forsakenness. But it is step one in a journey that will end with vindication. And so it feels to me, it always is, as since, I've, since that parallel was first pointed out to me, that this is not, um, he, it's like, it's, I want to be careful. He did experience the full wrath of the Father on the cross. And so at some level, it's even probably right to talk about a separation. And maybe that's even some of what's going on in this text. I think what I want to say at the very least is we got to be careful to make sure that sure. we don't under-read Psalm 22 into that, you know? Yep, yep. And then in, um, none of this is going to solve the problem, but just to push it a little deeper, and then the Second the Corinthians 5 text, I, I have, I, have be, I think, become convinced that when he says he became sin, that there is an allusion to the sin offering. It became the sin sure, offering. Sure. So how is it that he identifies with sin? And I think that maybe the way we should learn to talk, if we're paying attention to those who have tried to articulate these things, is that we end up saying that the God-man, you know, it's one of those times when we just say the God-man died on the cross. So we don't say the crucified God or God died. 
Not that that's totally wrong, yeah, yeah, but, but it's that, that's clearer. Half, yeah, it's yeah. clearer to say yes. that the God man, um, or, or however we put that, I so identified with sin that it is true to say he became sin, that he, he, he died on the cross. And we still we also can't say a part of God died on the cross because then we're committing one of the one of the most basic Trinitarian yeah. heresies. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I haven't helped anything, but you guys, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any other narratives that come to mind, Drew? I mean, you you love to be perplexed. Yep. And you love to be, you know, how do I worried and wor- kind of a little bit stressed angsty. out? Angsty, like a teenage girl. You you are angsty. So any other any other texts that just jump out? Um. Gethsemane was where I was going to go. That was kind go of the there. main one I think yep. about. Well, be, where you seem to have Jesus wrestling with mm-hmm. a different will than the Father does mm-hmm. in a little bit, in which mm-hmm. we kind of we always talk about them being one and of the same mind and of the same heart. But He's praying things like, "Not my will, but Yours be done." But I thought Yours will was my will was you know what I mean? And Jesus' um, uh, fear and kind of he partly just because you see what seems to be so much weakness in Gethsemane that you mm-hmm. don't get to see in a whole lot of other places, a real struggle with um, with the, the pain and the anguish of those things. And so um, pushing those two together is probably um, the temptation gives me some fun questions to think through. Gethsemane gives me the most like, whoa, what was going on? What was actually going on mm-hmm. there? That's the most like mystery for me to kind of figure out, you know? Well, and I had a conversation last week. A guy called me and wanted to talk more about the temptation. Said, "Hey, you were saying some stuff," and he wanted to try to explain it to me uh, in terms of how this worked. Like I didn't understand. It was really kind of a very interesting conversation. And I guess I don't know if he was saying I didn't understand it, but he was like, "Hey, well, how about if we look at Jesus this way?" And it was good for me uh, to actually have to try to explain how I think the whether you want to call it the hypostatic union. Um, the church finally decided to call it the mystic union, mm. which kind of is honest about mm-hmm. how all of this works. But I kept reminding him that when, whenever we're trying to explain the nature of Christ or the nature of the Trinity, whenever we do that, um, the more that we explain and the more that we nail down and then therefore this and then therefore this, the closer to one of the heresies that we have. Uh, where the mm. where the more we try to divide him up, you know, and again, I, I think on the one hand, I think it's good for us to realize it's probably not bad or, or totally wrong for us to say uh, God did this when we speak about Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, um, or uh, to emphasize at, at times yes. the, the humanity of Him. I just think it's good to make sure that we always come back holistically, mm-hmm. and so we're painting a picture of the fullness, and that's yeah. why I'll even use the phrase God Man, mm-hmm. the God Man Jesus Christ, to to remind people about how important it is for us to hold these pieces as complicated as they are and as difficult as they are, you know, in tension. Um, and so uh, it, it really does, you know, talking about how liberalism has affected uh, church theology and even church practice, um, this is kind of where it's probably carried the brunt of it. So it's not just the loss of the miracles, mm-hmm. but it is truly uh, the loss of the greatest miracle, the incarnation, in terms of what that's going to mean and, and, and how that plays out. So... Okay. Um, any other final thoughts, guys, that you that you have? I know that uh, we'll see how we divide up this podcast, but um, any other final thoughts that you guys have in relation to this, some areas that we haven't discussed or want to expose? No, I, I mean, I don't have any areas that we haven't discussed. I just a, a suggestion as you're kind of reading through this on your own. Um, it's It's... It goes without saying that we need to approach the text with humility mm. and submission. We need to submit to the authority of the text. And, and I think that, I- at least in my heart, I have this 
this angsty need for resolution and I need to to submit to the degree that I know I'm not going to get it here. Mm. I need to, you know, it's kind of, I, I've heard you say this about the Trinity. You might have stolen it from someone, but it's whenever you feel like, Probably. like <laughs> yeah. But if, if you believe you have the Trinity figured out, you're you likely don't. a heretic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this might be another area where if you believe you've resolved it, you're likely committing one of these major heresies. See, and in that sense, I think it's good for us to even be aware of where we're, where we're weak. I remember reading an article in grad school by Howard Marshall talking about how we understand the devils and demons. And he said, do you tend to underestimate or overestimate their power and influence? Mm-hmm. And, he, and, and kind of in this article, he was saying, hey, just be, be, be aware of where you're at. Yeah. And so I've always known like where I land um, and then, therefore, to be aware of my own bias and to be yeah. aware of how I need to, to teach these things. So, Man, I really loved what you said a couple weeks ago in the sermon, and you were just talking about the importance of us really taking the time to think through this and not just kind of brushing it off with, well, you know, it's just a mystery and we can mm-hmm. never we can never understand it. We, we lose opportunities for, for awe and when we just brush aside. So there's, there's a way to look at it and say, man, it's just a mystery and... I can't get my mind around that and brush it aside. And then there's a way of staring at that mystery for a long mm-hmm. time and trying to figure out all the angles and thinking through it as fully as I can. And then you say, man, this is a mystery and I still can't figure it out. And that second way leads to worship and, mm-hmm. and awe. And, and what we got to talk about in our life group after your sermon is it's okay. I mean, sure, if you want to just say it's a mystery and I'll never get it and kind of, well, I don't, that's not how my mind works and push it aside cool just know that you're missing an opportunity for worship <laughs> yeah right like yeah, you're just yeah. missing an opportunity for awe when you just say i don't like to think about big things like that mm-hmm. um no though it's awesome when we do think about big things like that and still can't nail it down mm-hmm. there's something that's beautiful about that yeah. you know you're not yeah. bad you're just missing out yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. a couple of things for me just by way of final thought one real quick and then two main ones we probably should have said this up top but and maybe we did but the hypostatic union was just their language for personal union you know what I mean? It was their way of saying that in one person, these two are brought together. So that's probably just just to remove any mystique from the yeah. term. Terms can be from the term. Yeah. yeah. But the two things I would say, um, really probably just rephrasing what both you guys just said. One is you know, the complexity and mystery of it draws us in, which I think is part of the divine design. Um, and part of what I think we can learn from this is without personal involvement, without, without deep personal wrestling, you're not going to come to know Jesus. Um, know about him or know him. So there's a sense in which um, I have no idea why precisely God revealed in such a way that he has, but that at least to me makes sense that it's impossible for me to just say, um, and I can say, well, I can't figure it out, so whatever. But what's impossible for me to do is say, okay, got that nailed, moving on. Mm-hmm. It's just does not, it's not ever going to work like that. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a sense in which Jesus draws us into um, deeper knowledge of himself um, in many ways, this being one of them. And the other one is, is similar to what you just said. I think my encouragement is just uh, choose to be a person who thinks about both as well as you can. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't think we actually have to keep misemphasizing. Yep. I yep. think we really can. So when you find yourself thinking about one, think about it for a while and then think about the other. And I think about Colossians 3 1. Um, and Colossians hmm. is such an important book with all of this. This Paul is. He's dealing with a, with a problem with their doctrine of Christ, but he doesn't focus so much on the problem so much as, let me remind you all the truth about Jesus. But in two, he breaks down and critiques all these different ways of trying to grow in your faith. And then he gets to three and is like, let me tell you how to. Set your minds on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your yeah. hearts on things above. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, for you died and your life hidden, is hidden with Christ in God. So there's this idea that the blessings of the gospel become real to us as we think about them. Mm-hmm. So just think about it and think about it well and not perfectly, but tr- just resolve to become a person that thinks about Jesus well. It's going to take time, which always means you're going to have to say no to something else to say no to this. <laughs> but I think the worship, the joy, um, the ability to help other people uh, with the truth, all these things will grow in ways you can't know ahead of time. That's another part of what's stake for me, and I promise this will be the last thing I say. We don't know what we're missing out on um, when, we, when we fail to keep pursuing the truth. So there's a part of it for me where it's like, there's, I'm sure, joys and opportunities that are available the more I pursue the truth about Jesus, that I actually, it's, it's not even that oh, I'll be able to see them and know that I miss them. I won't even ever have known what they could have been. Yeah. Mm. And there's, there's not a motivated by fear that I'm missing out so much as a joy, a desire for this joy with God in what could be if we do precisely this and become people who just keep thinking about Jesus, knowing Jesus, and uh, in the deepest sense of the word, loving him. Yeah. And that's the, I think that's the beauty of this, is that what we have been talking about here in the last few moments is not, um, kind of theology devoid from experience and theology being experienced is truly kind of a worship mm-hmm. response that we should have, mm-hmm. whether we're, uh, what would be considered, I hate this phrase, but, um, I get where people are describing it, like the professional theologian. The truth is, is that when I watch certain people, when I watch J.I. Packer more recently, uh, lose his eyesight and yet not lose his love for and appreciation for who God is. So there is something profound that is happening, and it's caused by somebody who has looked long into who Jesus Christ is and who God is. You know, that's why it's not so much a contradiction. I'm surprised we didn't use this word more. I mean, it's fine that we didn't, but it is a paradox. Hmm. And so it is the com- it is the complexity of of what has happened, and I think it is personally, and I think probably all you guys would say this. It's kept me wanting to think about it longer. I think if it was really kind of a simple thought, uh, the central I- aspect of our faith, um, the the divinity and the humanity of Jesus Christ, and how the Trinity uh, fits together, is something that can never be solved. I don't even think it was ever designed to be solved. It's something to be pondered and and uh, and that we grow in our understanding, but like God himself will forever be beyond kind of the final word. Mm-hmm. And so there isn't one. Wow. So that's my final word, I guess. Really grateful actually for uh, all the guys around the table, for Steve putting all this together, for Drew and Ryan and everything that they have, and um, even for the interest that all of us had to come here to, to Ozark and to have a chance to meet with Michael, you know, it's always good seeing your brother. Really appreciated what you kind of add to this. And so for those of you that listen to this podcast, I know what you're thinking. So when is he going to come down and preach uh, <laughs> instead of one of you other guys? Well, I'm sure we'll try to, we'll, we'll, we'll figure something out. I know you would absolutely love to, to get a chance to hear him. So anyway, uh, we love you guys. Uh, know that we are praying and, uh, and struggling for your very souls because of our love for Jesus as well as our love for you.